you want to talk about monsters, I want to talk about monsters. Let's talk about monsters here on Monster Kid Radio. This is the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. My name is Derek M. Cook. This is episode 495 of the podcast, and we're kicking things off with some music. This is the new song, Night Surf, from the surf band Beach Bomb, based out of Norway. It is a new single that just came out earlier this month. You can find it at beachbombband.bandcamp.com and pick it up for yourself. If you do, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Of course, there will be a link in the show notes. This is it. This is the last episode before the most wonderful time of the year for us monster kids. Halloween is coming up and we're going to give you something to listen to leading up to Halloween. Now I've got a bunch of stuff playing online for you to watch, but if you just want to listen to something and you're not listening to monster kid radio, you might want to check out some old time radio and check out some of the amazing episodes of yesteryear, man, there is just so much out there so much that it can sometimes be overwhelming and you might need a friend to help you figure out what's what, where to look, what to listen to. And that's what we've got this week on the show. Fellow podcaster, Eric Martin from the Cineversary podcast reached out to me a little while ago about doing an episode on old time radio or OTR. I thought it sounded like a grand idea. There's just something about this time of year that screams old time radio, not just Eric, not just me. Rich Chamberlain is doing it over at his blog as well. And I'm sure you can find all kinds of material online if you go looking. But again, you need to know where to look. And that's where Eric comes in. He knows so much more about old time radio than I do. So I was thrilled to sit down with him this morning to talk with him about these programs. We're going to get into that conversation and even play a few clips of some of this old time radio programming for you guys and gals here on the show. Now, it would not be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without some of our amazing segments that we have sent in by our amazing contributors. Dr. Tong is back to talk a little bit about a little Frankenstein. And to keep that Frankenstein vibe going, Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland takes a look at a particular issue of the magazine and something Frankenstein-related is in it. Now, we're going to get away from Frankenstein and get our kaiju on with Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review. We have all this. Plus, we're talking about what's on the stream right now at the Monster Kid Movie Club. It's all coming up. I can't wait to get into it. How about we do that right now? I'm Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. 
Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. It has been written since the beginning of time that evil supernatural creatures exist in a world of darkness. And it is also said, man can call forth these powers of darkness, the demons of hell. It is the night of the demon. Tonight is the night that Dana Andrews, as a daring scientist, defies the mysterious murderous devil cult in a desperate battle against the demons of hell. Ah, oh, why did you drop the poker? Red hot. It isn't, you know. Oh, my boy, you're as pale as death. There was something in here. He has been chosen. I've been chosen for what? What do you mean? Today I found all the pages of my desk calendar torn out after October the 22nd. I know why. He died on the 22nd. John, what's the matter? The same thing happened to my desk calendar after the 28th. The frightened girl. The master of witchcraft. You will die, as I said, at 10 o'clock on the 28th of this month. Your time allowed is just three days from now. Skeptical? Don't make up your mind till you see this masterpiece of macabre magic. Because, after all, evil supernatural creatures really do exist. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Nothing says Halloween quite like a haunted house story, which makes this the perfect time to discuss the ninth episode of Ultra Q, Baron Spider. With an original air date of February 27th, 1966, it seems meant to be viewed on October 31st. Things get off to a shocking start as an oversized arachnid attacks and kills a lighthouse keeper, sending his co-worker fleeing in terror. In the same vicinity, June, Ipe, and Yuriko are returning from a party with a car full of friends trailing behind. Intrigued by a light they see in the swamp, the group splits up, and Ipe and his friend Takahara nearly drown in a seemingly bottomless pond before they're rescued at the last possible moment. They seek shelter in an apparently abandoned mansion, and as the group attempts to warm up, June relates a story he once heard about Baron Spider, an unusual man whose hobby of collecting spider specimens led to a tragic end. How strange would it be if they had stumbled into Baron Spider's lair? 
Baron Spider is a straight-ahead haunted house thriller featuring a secluded setting, spooky soundtrack, and super-sized spiders right out of a nightmare. In true Ultra Q fashion, nothing is really explained, although June's urban legend suggests a cause no connection is confirmed. Unbalance rules the day. Movie buffs will doubtlessly recognize the stunning Akiko Wakabayashi in a supporting role. Her genre roles included 1962's King Kong vs. Godzilla and 1964's Dogura the Space Monster and Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. One year after her appearance on Ultra Q, she would achieve international notoriety as the ninja Aki in the fifth James Bond film, You Only Live Twice. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. girls, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, it's time for Dr. Tongue's 3D House of Vintage Monster Collectibles! Welcome back, everybody, where it's time to relive the past with good old Uncle Dr. Tongue. This is where I reach into your brain, find those long-lost childhood memories, jerk them into the present, so hopefully you can enjoy them once again, monster style. My monster collecting parameters are pretty weird, wild, and varied. I do have a fondness for monster figures, dolls if you must, and I also have a secret love for old battery-operated toys. So this next item I'm going to look at covers all of my bases, I hope you enjoy it as well. In the early to mid-1960s, a Japanese company called Nomura produced a 12-inch tall battery-operated figural monster, calling it simply the Monster Frankenstein. It looked rather monstrous, but it was a far cry from the flat-topped, bolt-necked, tall, dark, and handsome creature we have all learned to know and love. This fellow looked more like a cross between Cousin Eerie and Max Gale from Barney Miller. The creature stood on a metal platform that looked like stone with the family name Frankenstein inscribed across the front. Once 2D batteries were installed underneath, the red button was pushed on the base and the monster rocked back and forth, arms held out straight in a I'm gonna get you pose. This went on for a few seconds and then the monster stops and suddenly his pants fall revealing a pair of red and white striped boxer shorts. A red bulb in the head activates and the monster's face turns red with embarrassment. Hence the nickname for this toy, the Blushing Frankenstein. Several years later, that would be the late 1960s, Galoob Toys imported from Japan a similar battery-operated toy called the Mod Monster. The only noticeable difference between the two figures was the inclusion of a rather groovy necklace and gold metal chain that hung around the monster's neck, and he was now sporting a rather stylish red button-down mod Nehru jacket. He was updated for the times and ready to make the scene at the love-in. The trouble was, 
he still had that pesky problem of wandering pants. Now, fast forward to 1980, and a company named Pointer once again imports a Frankenstein figure from Japan that looks awfully familiar. It was similar to the previous incarnations and had a similar style goofy looking bald stitched up head, but this time in pink, not in the green like the originals. A black jacket and pants, but this time he was wearing a red and white striped t-shirt. I'm wondering if that was a nod to the old boxer shorts. And it gave him an old school sailor look. Gone was the tin metal base and chiseled name. This figure had a plastic base that resembled rocky ground and a tombstone behind him and an operating button that was actually a bone sticking up out of the ground. The action was a tad different as well. The monster still rocked back and forth, but this time when his pants dropped, his arms crossed in front of him, trying to hide his shame. He was wearing a pair of pink, girly panties. Quick, someone get Ed Wood on the phone. The prices for these bad boys are all over the board, ranging from a hundred and a half for a loose operating figure to a few hundred dollars with one still in its original box. And if you're looking for that 80s version, don't hold your breath. They are listed for stupid money. And they don't seem to be selling for that much. So stay vigilant, loyal listeners. Something will pop up. That will do it for this time as we wrap up this monstrous toy segment. So until next time, I hope you keep your pants around your waist and drop them only when you need to. Toodles! Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we're going to look at films covered with feature-length articles in FM 28 from my birth month, May of 1964. First up is a look at a French comedy Frankenstein film, Torticola vs. Frankenspur. This 30-minute film merited a six-page article with 11 photos most of it of its bizarre, flat-topped monster. It gave a plot synopsis and ended with this information. Only those who have seen the film Torticola vs. Frankensburg know the answer, and they are thousands of miles away in France and afraid to talk. They will tell us only this, that this unique Frankensteinian film is divided into three parts of ten minutes each, and that in that horrifying half-hour one sees the laboratory of horror, the prey of the damned, and the monster has a heart. And we can just imagine whose heart it is. So, if you're ever in Pomerania and find yourself in the neighborhood of the castle Todenwald, we have just one piece of advice for you. Take the next jet bat back to where you came from. Like the Turkish Dracula, most FM readers would never get to see this film in 1964. But today, it is available to watch on the internet. Next up is a film book for the classic island of Lost Souls. This was the introduction to the two-part article that in this issue had 10 pages and 11 photos. What monstrous secrets are hidden from the eyes of the world on the island of Dr. Moreau? What is the meaning of the shrieks that rend the night? Why did the strange natives cower in terror at the mention of the House of Pain? Who or what is the mysterious cat-like woman, Loda? In this classic film book, you'll encounter brute men with the bodies of beasts in the minds of maniacal morons. Astonishment paralyzed me, says the hero in H.G. Wells' book, and you will be paralyzed too, with fright, 
when you read about and get a look at what shook him up. Under the man's stringy black locks, I saw his ears. The man had pointed ears covered with a fine fur. As you read the story of this film, you will share the many terrors that Edward Parker encountered when he found himself an unwelcome guest on the uncharted island where the infamous Dr. Moreau was conducting his uncanny experiments. Are you brave enough to enter the Island of Lost Souls? A detailed synopsis of half the film followed, with the second part promised for issue 29. This book-like look of the film was welcomed by monster kids of the time because this film was hard to see for many years. Right after that, we have the brief article, Unmasking the Phantom. Forty years ago, Mary Philbin dared remove the mask of Eric, and the world is still screaming. Revived here, for preservation for all time, is this stunning sequence, more clearly than it has ever been reproduced before. Six photos follow this intro, showing the frames of the famous scene with Lon Chaney and Mary Philbin when the Phantom is revealed. The next film covered was The Manster. I covered that article on Monster Kid Radio back in September of 2019 when it was Derek's featured film. Last, we have a preview of Children of the Damned. The article, entitled Beware the Eyes, was three pages long and included five photos. Here's what it had to say about this British classic. They've returned, those fantastic preteens with the Superman powers. Their brains are a million years ahead of ours. Their wills can destroy the world. From Africa, India, China, Russia, England, and the USA they come. This strange new breed of masterminds, born of human mothers but fathered by invisible invaders from another planet. They're a menace to all mankind. It's being called an extraordinary adventure into the fantastic and frightening, even eerier and more unearthly than Village of the Damned. It's photography by the man who gave us the spooky camera work in The Haunting. It brings back to the screen Bessie Love, who long before Faye Ray was menaced by dinosaurs way back in the prehistoric days of the silent motion pictures and the lost world. Will Clive Powell, who plays Paul, the leader of the Super Children, prove as popular as Martin Stevens in his similar role in Village of the Damned? Hailed as a bizarre shocker that will keep the spectator rooted to the edge of his seat, this sequel is awaited with high hopes. Is it the beginning of the end for mankind? Will we lose the battle, become slaves to this powerful new breed that is half-human, half-alien? See for yourself, but don't give away the end to a friend. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Kenny, when you started talking about the Torticola Contre Frankensburg, which I'm sure I mispronounced, it started to sound a little familiar. So I went and I looked it up myself. And yes, you can find it online in a few places. Uh, but I also think I talked about this at one point on the show a few years back i wanted to do like a series of episodes that had a little bit of a spotlight on frankenstein the frankenstein monster the myth all of that i don't remember where that was in the timeline of monster kid radio where in the archives you can find it but i have vague memory of talking about this one not because of anything that you mentioned outside of the flat top frankenstein monster but I think at some point in the short film somebody has their brain transplanted with the brain of a or put into um he has a cat brain <laughs> he gets turned into a cat person with weird whiskers and cat mannerisms it's just really bizarre it's very french 
and surreal in that regard. And I don't know who owns the rights to it, and I don't think I've ever seen it with English subtitles. So it's in French. I don't know if it's something that I can show myself, but I'll look into it. And maybe I'll drop it into the stream sometime this week as we get into Halloween. We'll see. Stay tuned for that. Kenny, thank you, as always, my friend. I feel like podcasting is kind of a, a modern day development of radio, obviously. And when it comes to horror and classic horror in particular, radio and horror, they go well together. If you look at the history, you look at old time radio, you look at Orson Welles and, and all the other amazing things, Arch Obler and all the other amazing programming that was available on old time radio or OTR. I don't talk about OTR enough here on the show. So when somebody reached out to me to say, hey, let's talk about old-time radio, I jumped them at the chance. I'm talking about Eric Martin from the Cineversary podcast. Eric, welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Oh, Derek, it's such a treat to be on your show, Monster Kid Radio. I've been a, a fan for a long time, long-time listener. And yeah, I, I thought, hey, who better to pitch an idea of let's talk some OTR horror and mystery then Derek Cook and Monster Kid Radio. So thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a real treat. Like I said, I, I know a lot of people might know about Orson Welles and Arch Obler, you know, did some crossover between radio and television and film, mm -hmm. but there is just so much out there. You sent me some samples and just going through the samples here, my ears were opened, I guess. My mind was blown by all the material that's out there. And then you start digging into the internet archives and there's just a lot of material out there. It can sometimes be overwhelming for some people. So I'm glad you reached out because I think it's going to be fun to kind of dip into some of what's out there and maybe get listeners on the track to becoming a fan like you and I are. Oh, this is going to be a real pleasure from my perspective. And I hope the listeners really dig into what we're going to talk about here. Maybe we'll have a chance to play some excerpts. I'm going to share a cloud folder of some of the public domain broadcasts you can listen to, stream, or download. So Let's go for it. Excellent. Now, before we do that, though, this is the first time you've been on the show. You're a podcast. You've been doing the anniversary podcast. How long has that been going? Oh, goodness. It's been, I'd say, about two and a half years now. So what it is, it's anniversary. It's a monthly podcast, and, and we celebrate a milestone anniversary of a major motion picture. So, for example, in our current October episode, I commemorate the 60th anniversary of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho by analyzing the film with my guest, Alexander Felipe. Now, he's the director of the fantastic documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, Derek, but it's called 7852, which dissects just the shower scene, although it, it of course, delves into uh, all kinds of themes in the movie Psycho, too. But incredible movie. You know, that's not the only flavor of horror we cover on my podcast, too. So uh, Monster Kid Radio fans would also enjoy my episodes honoring the 40th anniversary of The Shining with Kim Newman. The 40th anniversary of Alien, in which I had horror podcasters Mike Munzer of The Evolution of Horror, as well as Andrea Subasati of The Faculty of Horror on that one. Uh, let's see, I, I honored the 100th anniversary of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari with film scholar Kristen Thompson from the Criterion Collection, as well as the 40th anniversary of the original Halloween with director Tommy Lee Wallace. We've also dedicated birthday episodes to classics like his Girl Friday and The Wizard of Oz, Double Indemnity, um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Vertigo, and many, many others. So for full details and to stream episodes, please visit anchor.fm slash Cineversary. And that's spelled C-I-N-E-V-E-R-S-A-R-Y. And Derek, I've also been leading a weekly film discussion group called Cineverse for over 16 years. We currently meet on Zoom 
And I also publish a blog at cineversegroup.com. And that's, of course, spelled C-I-N-E-V-E-R-S-E group.com. And there I have a lot of in-depth analyses of, of thousands of movies where you can go to listen to recordings of our group discussions. And there's all kinds of goodies on that page too. And then as far as just my horror cred, uh, in the past, I've written and edited for the official fan magazines of the X-Files, as well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the old Cinescape magazine, which is now defunct. So a uh, longtime fan of horror, mystery in all mediums, uh, film, radio, television, and literature. Of course, I'll make sure there are links in the show notes to all of this. I did check out some of your podcasts. I, I've known about your podcast for a while, and I've listened to a handful of the episodes, especially the horror ones. That Psycho one, actually, I highly recommend because that documentary I have seen, really good. Had a chance to see it when it was making its limited theatrical run here in Portland. And wow, uh, that is just an amazing insight into just that one section of the film, but everything leading up to it as well. It's highly recommended. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's so, so good. So again, links in the show notes to everything that you just mentioned here. Uh, and <laughs> you said before we started recording, I'm just a fan. I'm not like an expert. Listen to you talk. <laughs> All this stuff that you've done for the past 16 years. I, I think you're probably a little bit more than just a fan to all of this stuff. Well, I'm not trying to get a big head or anything like that, but uh, no, it's just, it's fun to be passionate about different things. And it's easy to be passionate about horror films and horror entertainment. And OTR certainly falls in that bucket. And I hope that we open the eyes, or in this case, the ears of many of your listeners, maybe for the first time to the power of old time radio, especially old time radio mystery and horror, which I'm just so thrilled to be talking about here. Exactly. Now I know that Rich Chamberlain, a friend of the show, fellow podcaster has been talking about this over on his blog. And I actually kind of cheated a little bit and maybe uh, jumped the gun, but some of the links that you sent me to some of the OTR programming, I have included in the stream over at the Monster Kid Movie Club this week leading up to Halloween, just to kind of give people a little bit of a taste. But there's so much more than the few things that I've shared with people, and I can't wait to talk about it all. But, you know, there's something we got to do first here on the show. The Classic Five! Oh my, am I really in for this? Wow, I can't believe it's happening. Let's go, <laughs> let's go for it, Derek. We're going to play a round of the Classic <laughs> Five. For listeners who yes. are just now joining us or don't know, the Classic Five is a game that we play here on the show. I have a literal deck of cards. Each one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question on them. There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get people talking about their favorite topic, classic monster movies. We're going to do five of them. That's why we call it the Classic Five. Eric, are you ready to play around? Oh, I, I was born ready. <laughs> All right. And you put in a special request. You wanted some universal cards, some universal questions. Oh, yes. I mean, if, if that's okay. Universal is my favorite kind of franchise. So let's do it. Hey, Universal Horror, Halloween, hand in hand. Got to do it. Yep. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. There you go. There you go. All right. Card number one. Let's see. Let me try to have a universal card in hand. Oh, here we go. If you had to colorize one Universal Monster movie, which one would it be? Oh, I know. Right? So ant <laughs> antithetical to my whole belief system. I can't stand when they colorize or tamper with the classics. Oh, you're really going to make me answer this question. Wow. Well, the first color was Son of Frankenstein in the whole cycle. Or it should have been, I should say. Uh, it, right. They tested it in color and it just didn't look that good. As I should correct myself. So, you know, I guess I, I, I'll go with that only because it was originally intended to be in color and 
it isn't the first. I would never want to see, let's say, the original 1931 Frankenstein oh. colorized. No, no, no. Oh. So I guess I guess I can allow that one. How about there? <laughs> I like you'll allow it. That's <laughs> there you go. And some alternate universe that's totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe, and I think it's actually something that Sarah Karloff says that uh, should have just been a home movie. But I believe if you go online and dig deep enough, you can see some color film tests of this i'm glad they didn't go that route i've heard in black and white yes like i said a universe that's completely wrong it happened and, and there's a reason why for example mel brooks later and paying homage to the whole frankenstein franchise he didn't make young frankenstein in color despite the you know studios you know strong insistence that he do so no so if he wasn't going to do it then the original shouldn't shouldn't be colorized either but never mind hey there you go there you go <laughs> All right, card number two. Oh, Battle of the Mad Scientists. Bride of Frankenstein's Dr. Pretorius or House of Frankenstein's Gustav Niemann? Oh, come on. How can you go against Pretorius? He is the just ultimate in sinister, is he not? I mean, when I think of mad scientists, there's so many to choose from in the universal cycle, but Pretorius really sets the bar high, does he not? I agree. Uh, that's kind of where I end up going most of the time when I get this question myself. Neiman is played by Karloff, and it is Karloff's return to the franchise, but mm -hmm. Pretorius is special, and it's a shame that we didn't get more Pretorius. I feel like that's a character that could have been exploited a lot more. You know, I love that Karloff is in House of Frankenstein. It's great that he's there, but it's just, it, it, it's such a letdown that he's not playing the monster, and I think most of our fans know why. I mean, he had all kinds of health issues, back issues. You know, he didn't want to do the same cliche tropes of Frankenstein anymore. I get that. But it was a little bit of a letdown that he's he's not playing the monster in that movie. Still, it's fun to have Karloff in any film, so I'm not going to complain. Yeah, I mean, I'll take Karloff on anything. All right. House of Dracula or House of Frankenstein? Oh, yeah. Wow. I, you know what's so funny? This is the level of geekdom to which myself and I assume some of your fans will sink to. I mean, I debate this in the shower sometimes. <laughs> you know seriously they're kind of like revolver rubber soul in the beatles pantheon it's like you know which one is better which one do i prefer or something like that I, they're very similar and then they're i think back to back between a year and what 1944 45 they have the the monster rally kind of thing with all three big monsters but oh, as well as the hunchback in uh, the first one but no, there's no question for me it's it's house of frankenstein uh, it's just uh, i think a, a little bit of a better story you got Karloff in that film. House of Dracula has some story problems for me and, and some weaker acting overall. So I'm going to go with the former. Yeah, I mean, I like House of Dracula a lot. I think it gives Carradine a little bit more to do as Dracula, but Karloff's in House of Frankenstein. Yep. Enough you know? said, right? Yeah, I can't. I can't. Yeah, I can't complain. I can't complain at all. Although I, I'm glad I live in a world where both films exist. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. Both films exist, and we can watch them relatively easily these days. Absolutely. And I've been digging into my Universal box set on Blu-ray this whole week with Halloween week, which I typically do every year. Such a thrill to have everything in one collection and to be able to watch whenever you want. There you go. All right. That was uh, what? That was card three? All right. Card four. Oh, and you know what? I'm happy to ask you this one because I think you will be able to answer it. A lot of times I ask this one and it's just too deep of a cut for some people. Mm. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Favorite Inner Sanctum film? Ooh, wow. I had a feeling you were going to ask me this. And 
I have to admit, I've never seen all of the Inner Sanctum films. Pillow of Death is, has kind of its charms, but I think most people would say Weird Woman is, is pretty cool because it's based on the story Conjure Wife, if I'm not mistaken. And a lot of people really like that story. So I'll go with Weird Woman. That one's my favorite, too. This is the Inner Sanctum. Stones, jungle gods. You don't know what you're doing. I do. Norman, no. Woman or witch, temptress or killer, weaving a death curse with the black magic of an ancient cult. Starring Lon Chaney, Anne Gwynn, Evelyn Ankers, with Lois Collier, Ralph Morgan, Elizabeth Risden, Elizabeth Russell. This house is full of something evil. Evil. Yes, it's you. Don't. Why are you terrorizing my wife? I don't even care anymore what people are saying, laughing at Oh, me. stop it. I never asked for such devotion from you, and I don't want it. Answer it. Hello? I'm a huge fan of that, that series. I think some of them are stronger than others. And any time you have a mustachioed Lon Chaney Jr., you know, you, you got you got something special. You know, it gave him a chance to do the leading man thing, which he didn't really <laughs> get an opportunity to do, and he always wanted to. That's right. So, yeah, Weird Woman, which actually we're going to talk briefly about next week on the podcast, because I have Kevin Slick coming on to talk about Burn Witch Burn, which is also based on the same story. So stay mm. tuned for that, listeners. That's a little tease. Oh, most cool. Yes. Very, very going to look forward to that. All right. Final card. Final question. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, and this is a question that I have a hard time answering myself. Revenge of the creature or the creature walks among us? You know, looking back, it, it's kind of a shame. Okay. There's pros and cons to this uh, alternate answer I'm going to give you, which doesn't have anything to do with you, what you answer, asked me. I will answer the question in a moment, but let me digress just briefly, if you don't mind. It's kind of a shame when you look at the universal cycle, Frankenstein has, I don't know, what is it? Five, six, seven films. Dracula has five or six. Wolfman has arguably three to four, if you count the female uh, She-Wolf of London. You know, Mummy has what? Five, six movies. Creature only has three, which is kind of a shame. Mm -hmm. To my, my opinion, they kind of fall in quality as they go on. It's hard to besmirch the excellence of the first one, right? I mean, no one's going to say uh, the sequels are better than the original Creature from the Black Lagoon. But among the two, you know, it's so cool because Walks Among Us, it just delves into territory that you don't expect. And I give it a lot of props for that. It's just an unexpected kind of out of the blue approach to the whole creature mythos and the universal cycle. Revenge of the Creature is a, a very kind of conventional sequel. It takes elements from the first King Kong film, Monster on the Loose kind of a thing. I don't like the design of the creature as much in the Revenge of the Creature. I don't like how they tinkered with that. But I'm going to have to go with Revenge of the Creature because it's still Jack Arnold and it still hits the right beats for me. So I'll go with the second one in the series. You can be the first man to scientifically study a creature that, by all the laws of nature, should have died a quarter of a million years ago. Hey, 
They dared to bring him back alive from his haunts deep in the jungles of the Amazon. They dared to put him on display with the other denizens of the deep while thousands came to marvel and wonder. You know, I, I pity him sometimes. He's so alone. The only one of his kind in the world. If anything goes wrong, you head straight for the surface, you understand? All right, let's go. They dared to study him, to probe him, to tempt him with the lure of a woman's beauty, thinking that mere chains could hold in check the primeval forces that surged and roiled within this strange being from the dawn of time. Hey, look, he broke the chain! When I first saw these three films, I mean, Creature is my favorite film, you know, hands sure. down. But when I first saw the three films, I was really let down by The Creature Walks Among Us. But the more I watched it, the more I've really warmed up to it. And now I find it Me too. to be one of the most underrated of the monster cycle. Yeah, I agree. It, it gr- really grows on you. The first viewing, it was just kind of like, eh. But yeah, you're right. Subsequent viewings, it just kind of takes on a special place. And again, the, the, the weird places they take it, it kind of twisted dynamics and relationships among the characters, kind of make it a little cut above uh, more than you'd expect. I find the story between the humans fascinating. Right. Now, Revenge of the Creature has two things going for it. Two words, John Agar. But of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love, you know, I love me some John Agar. I mean, who doesn't love John Agar? But uh, yeah, Creatures uh, Walks Among Us just has some really interesting things in it. There's no question about it. And also uh, pretty attractive Laurie Nelson in Revenge of the Creature. Yeah, I mean, there's that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's that too. Uh, oh, well, that was the classic five. I think he survived. I think he did fine. What do you think? Uh, I'm still here all in one piece. I haven't disintegrated or blown up or everything's good. So yeah, hey, I'm feeling confident. I made it through the classic five. Nice. All right. Now we'll see if I can make it through the OTR discussion. here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're more than capable, Derek. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. I'm really excited about it. So we call it OTR now. I don't know when that became the way we referred to these, but old time radio or classic radio, radio dramas. I mean, we have audio dramas being produced now, but the precursor to all of that is this classic era of entertainment. I'm a, I'm a nostalgic guy by nature, and I just like learning from history, and I, I just think that uh, it's too often our culture disposes of the past and doesn't really uh, take the lessons learned. I'm not trying to get preachy or soapboxy here, but just in terms of uh, just appreciating what came before, uh, whether it's film, literature, or in this case, a dominant uh, past medium of radio. Radio's still with us, but... Let me paint you a picture of the power of radio or, or old time radio, as we call it now. But in, in the day, now, I want you to imagine a time before streaming, before the Internet, prior to home video, even before television. Right. There was actually an era where the dominant entertainment medium was radio and its four primary networks, NBC, CBS, MBS, which stood for the Mutual Broadcasting System, and later ABC, And virtually every household in the country had uh, tuned into radio for news and information, but mostly for amusement in the form of radio programs that fell across several genres. Now, these genres include comedies, dramas, westerns, game shows, soap operas. You had music and variety programs. There were police and detective shows and science fiction, especially toward the end of the uh, cycle of golden age of radio. But 
Many people's favorite types of shows fell in the bucket of mystery, thriller, suspense, and horror, which I'll just collectively shorthand and call it OTR mystery. These series dramatized contemporary stories of fright and fear by modern masters of the time. So some of those masters included, for example, Algernon Blackwood, Lucille Fletcher, Ray Bradbury, Daphne du Maurier, uh, Cornell Woolrich. And there were also adaptations of classic horror by like Poe and Lovecraft, Robert Louis Stevenson, M.R. James, Mary Shelley, and many others too. So there was a lot of, of great uh, stories and, and, and masters to choose from in terms of the actual authors of these tales. Uh, but like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and like The Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt on television, many of these shows follow the anthology format, Derek, in which you know a different standalone story was broadcast each week. And although radio horror had strong examples dating back to the early 1930s, I want you to understand the heyday of OTR mystery was in the 40s and 50s. They say the golden age of radio was really kind of that World War II and post -war, immediate post-World War II era of the 1940s, in which you had the, the largest listening audiences in, in many cases. And shows like the Jack Benny program were at the absolute apex of their excellence, if you will. So I was first tuned into the magic of OTR mystery, uh, or OTR for that matter, and entirely, quite accidentally, by tuning in and listening to a radio show in the Chicagoland area, where I'm from. This was in the early 80s, and the show was called Those Were the Days. And at the time, it was hosted by a man named Chuck Shaden, who has since retired. But and, it, and still to this day, Chuck's weekly Saturday afternoon program had been on the air for a number of decades, but now uh, they've actually celebrated their 50th anniversary this year. So it's been, it's amazing to think that they're kind of rekindling the spirit of old time radio and they've been on the air longer than the actual era of old time radio was, which is kind of, <laughs> kind of bizarre. So Chuck retired in 2009. He was replaced by a fantastic new host and his name is Steve Darnell. Steve is still broadcasting. Those were the days every Saturday on a station called WDCB. 90.9 FM in the Chicagoland area, but you can also get that on, on apps like, uh, what is it, TuneIn and, and iHeartRadio, I think, and, and others. And also, if you uh, want to hear recent Those Were the Days recordings, you can visit nostalgiadigest.com and click on the tab called Those Were the Days. So I think he, he posts the most recent two weeks of episodes up there. And then he cycles through them as the uh, weeks pass. So anyway, back in the early 80s, I remember hearing two stories on Chuck's show that really stuck with me like peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. One of them was called Three Skeleton Key. And this starred Vincent Price in this timeless story of terror about three lighthouse keepers trapped inside the lighthouse by millions of ravenous rats, which was featured on a show called Escape. This was the series. And later, a different series it was featured on was called Suspense. And the second story that really took me, I think I must have been listening around the Halloween season of the early 80s, maybe in 81 or 1980. It was called Murder Castle. This was an episode on a, on a show called Lights Out by Arch Obler, another uh, great innovator in old-time radio. But this is a macabre tale based on the real-life case of H.H. Holmes, and this was Chicago's notorious serial killer made famous in the novel, The Devil in the White City. Not sure if you've had a chance to read that, but it really blood curdling kind of details there. It wasn't long after hearing these shows that I became a fan of old time radio programs of all genres, actually comedies, dramas, science fiction, you name it. But like a, I'd say like a carnival goer who opts for the tallest roller coaster over the Ferris wheel, right? 
it was always the thrillers and the mystery and the horror programs that provided me the best entertainment. So in the spirit of, let's say, a zealous Tales from the Crypt comic book fan, I grew obsessed with recording, collecting OTR horror and mystery shows. And for years, I would copy them onto cassette tapes because that was kind of the de facto uh, method of recording in the 80s, especially. And in the 90s, I supplemented my collection with OTR CDs, compact discs. But then over the past 20 years, I've digitized my collection onto MP3 files. I now have over 5,000 episodes of various shows, which is just a drop in the bucket compared to what's out there. There are lots of resources on the internet, including what is it, archive.org, mm-hmm. that has probably tens of thousands of different OTR broadcasts you can download and listen to and so forth. We're fortunate that any of these shows still exist at all. And that's because the vast majority of the programs were saved onto fragile transcription discs at the time of their broadcasts. And these discs, which were kept and preserved by the networks, radio stations, and various collectors throughout the decades, you know, that's the real reason why we can still listen to a lot of these today. So later, the shows on these transcription discs were transferred to audio tape and in the recent decades converted to digital to be stored on hard drives and other devices. And because of the age of many of these programs and the vulnerability of the transcription discs they were captured on, many have some slight audio issues that, you know, you'll notice if you listen to some of them, like you might hear some background noise, hiss, skips, and, and things like that. But I actually think these kind of built-in imperfections add a kind of charming antique patina to the audio. Although some collectors and third parties have worked diligently to clean up and restore many of these recordings. So they've made them sound even better than ever, which is also very cool because you don't want to keep hearing a skip or, you know, uh, an annoying hiss throughout an entire broadcast. That gets very distracting too. But sadly, Derek, many of these shows and individual episodes of various Uh, series, you know, they were not originally recorded or or the transcription discs, they didn't survive. And that means that some of these series that we can access today are not complete. So for example, let's take Inner Sanctum Mysteries, which is, you know, one of the great, all-time great OTR horror series. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Um, Yeah. uh, It's so good. So good. But of the 526 episodes that were originally broadcast, only less than 200 remain in circulation, sadly. Um, other series fared much better, like Suspense, for example, which to me is the you know creme de la creme. Uh, but Suspense had 945 episodes originally broadcast between 1942 and 1962 on CBS. And today, approximately 900 of those episodes have survived, thankfully. So again, I'll talk more about some of these individual series uh, if we have time in just a bit. So um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep blathering here. I I had a few more insights and observations as well as a couple tips on how to really appreciate old-time radio. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I was first exposed or made aware of this medium uh, in grade school when around Halloween, I don't remember what grade Mm. it was, but around Halloween uh, in our English textbooks was the script for War of the Worlds. Orson Welles' War of the World broadcast on October 30th, 1938, the most famous radio broadcast of all time. It's so funny, Derek, because we also had, uh, I don't think it was the complete script, but in one of our textbooks in uh, grammar school, we had to read it out loud and and like different kids from the classroom would take a part. Yeah, exactly. I would take a part and we had to, you know, go around the room and it was kind of fun. I didn't know what exactly we were doing because I'd never heard the broadcast or even really knew 
kind of the power of it or anything, but yeah, so I can relate. We also did that. That's exactly how we did it. That's exactly how we did it. We, every, every student was given a particular role and we read it aloud and it was like our English section of the day, you know, reading aloud, Mm -hmm. the words and all that. And I was fascinated, so fascinated that I took my English textbook home and tried to do it again at home, doing different voices as a little kid on my tape recorder. <laughs> oh my, that, that's so cool. I don't know where, I, I'm sure that tape doesn't exist anymore. Derek, you and I are like long separated brothers because <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I got my hands on a, a little mini tape recorder as a youngster and I would do all kinds of stuff like this too. I would try to record movies as yep. they were playing on television and, then yes. and listen to them later. Like, like that was kind of like radio theater, or audio theater. I mean, I would listen to just the audio recording yep. of a television program or, or a, a movie or something where I try to recreate it. And I try to do like my own little radio theater thing. Me too. And this was, <laughs> this was even before I really was exposed to old time radio, actual broadcast recordings. So I think we uh, just have it in our blood as we're born or something. You know, as I think as a fan of this kind of storytelling, uh, this mm-hmm. it's just a, such a unique medium. And I mm-hmm. was really made aware of the power of it. Uh, later on, when I got my hands on a four-pack cassettes of classic Lights Out episodes. Nice. Do you remember the episodes, Derek? I wish I could. I did a bunch. I, I, I went online. I tried to find a four-pack of cassettes like on eBay yeah. or something to see if I could remember what it was. I don't okay. remember what series or what episodes mm-hmm. they were, but I specifically remember Lights Out everyone at the beginning of every one of them and i played the heck out of those too uh then i discovered the shadow and just slowly Mm. became aware of it more and more as i grew older and older yes i think for people who aren't in the genre as much as we are people might be aware of old-time radio through uh a Christmas story where Ralphie races home to listen to little orphan annie uh that's right you know so that that really it was it was a appointment not television but radio you had to tune in at a particular time in the living room, turn on the radio, sit down and mm-hmm. just listen. And the idea of that to me is just so fascinating. And I'm sure that's part of why I got into podcasting just because you can do so much with just sound. Absolutely. So to me, OTR is, is really effectively entertaining because it involves active listening and surrendering yourself to the theater of the mind. And this involves imagining the faces and the scenery and the costumes and and the special effects with the help of skilled voice actors and expert sound effects, which this is what they did. You know, these weren't just Joe Blows off the street who they pulled in. Hey, come on. You want to do some sound effect? No, these were professionals. These were these were veterans. And often they'd they'd call in uh, major stars from Hollywood to do a special episode or uh, a voice act a part or something like that. But as far as like getting your head and your ears around like the power of this, I want you to it can actually take a little getting used to by those who aren't accustomed to listening to radio theater. Do you know what I'm talking about? So like if you try to turn this on to other people who haven't really practiced like listening to radio theater, I get feedback that, you know, it takes a little while to kind of get used to it. I mean, everybody has an imagination. I'm not trying to say mine is stronger than anyone else's, but the more you listen to OTR or radio theater, or let's say, you know, like books on tape where they have some dramatizations and things like that. Uh, or even if it's just a reading of a book on tape, uh, I find that you, you just exercise your imagination. Do you find that too? Yeah, it's it's a different way of working those memory muscles to mm-hmm. interpret what you're hearing. And especially with like radio drama, audio drama, OTR, 
because the story is being told to you almost primarily with no narration, it's all dialogue and sound effects. It's a different way of consuming that media. And it does involve a different way of kind of listening and taking that input in. Uh, I do find it a little different now because I've been listening to it off and on over the years. And again, podcaster sound stuff. I, I, can do that pretty easily. But I know at the beginning when I first started listening to some of this, that but that four pack of lights out tapes, for example, right. It was a different kind of storytelling. And I was aware of that. I just didn't yes. know if I understood how or why. You have to allow yourself to be immersed in the audio. You have to yeah. just surrender and listen attentively and engage your imagination. It may take a little while, but it becomes a terrifically satisfying experience in my opinion. So long as you're willing to do some of the work in your mind's eye. If you're not really paying attention or you're distracted, it's not going to be as effective. So like I enjoy listening to OTR virtually anywhere, but most often during walks, I'll listen while I'm cleaning, like let's say doing chores around the house, but I could still, I could still pay attention to the story. It's just not as effective as if you're sitting and attentively listening. But the point is, I mean, I can listen almost anywhere. And so I go to this, this, this extreme, like at night, I fall asleep to OTR as white noise. I literally do. Oh, some wow. people play <laughs> some people play soothing ocean waves or crickets like on their smart speaker as they fall asleep and it helps them kind of drift away to slumberland. But I actually <laughs> this is God's God's honest truth. I actually prefer plugging in to an OTR recording with my headphones when I hit the pillow. Honest to God, it sends me off to dreamland every night. I, I'm, I'm able to sleep nice and soundly. And often, you know, you get up in the middle of the night, maybe go to the bathroom or you wake up and you turn over and it's still playing in my ear. <laughs> I got to turn it off. You know what I mean? Sure. So sure. anyway, that's I'm, I'm kind of a nut that way. But yeah, I mean, it can be very soothing. Some of these broadcasts, even the horror stuff. I'll listen to horror before I go to bed. And to me, it's kind of like a soothing, you know, watching an old universal horror movie or something. It's not going to be scary. It's going to be just, you know, a reminder of what it's like to be a kid again, a monster kid again, if you if you know what I'm talking about. I, I do. There's a, a sense of uh, instant nostalgia. Even if you didn't grow up during those eras, there's this sense mm -hmm. of nostalgia that I get from listening to OTR, watching universal monster movies, watching old television programming. There's just something about these the stories, the way they're being told that just hits me yes. in a way that even though they were broadcast and created and aired and probably forgotten mm -hmm. before I was born, uh, I, I find these things to be so comforting. And yeah, I get the same sense when I listen to OTR. I've played scary OTR episodes. I mean, when I say scary, relatively scary, right? They're not frightening anymore, but some of them are pretty creepy. Some of these tales, we'll sure, get into them sure. and we'll talk about like how they're still effective. But I, just to give you an example, I've played OTR mystery and horror episodes to friends who've never really heard this kind of stuff before. Like we're sitting around a campfire in the woods, played them to friends. I played them to a mystery book club in a, in a classroom. Uh, I played them in a dark classroom as part of a college class experiment too, which in which, you know, the experience garnered a great reaction from my classmates and they helped me get an A in the course. So, I mean, an OTR can even help you a little bit there, <laughs> there you go. right? But because they're not as violent as, you know, slasher movies or other Halloween film fare, uh, yeah, the nice thing is appropriately aged children can enjoy these broadcasts as well as adults, even the scary stuff, because as I said, it's not really that violent or gory or scary. Although your mind's eye can conjure up whatever it does. So um, it, it can be effective that way. But the point is, these are these can be appreciated by all ages. 
I think so too. And because of the era in which they were created, especially most of them anyway, uh, they don't have like the language issues that you might have. So you, you can share them with True. your children as well and not be worried yeah. about that. That's yeah, there's not like adult situations. There's, right. there's not adult situations. There's not violence per se. I mean, yeah, there, there's murder and mayhem and all that, but absolutely everything you said. Yeah. And, you know, that said, like you said, there are some some pretty creepy ones that'll stick with you. My uh, dear friend, Scott Morris, who's been on the show repeatedly, uh, tells me a story about how he listened to The Dark uh, in a classroom setting as a kid. And, and it just messed with him for a long time. And just the sound It's so effects. effective. Yeah. It's so creepy. We're going to play an excerpt if we have time. Uh, oh, please, the dark, yeah. Just to kind of paint the picture. Oh, boy. Wet your whistle a little bit. But um, <laughs> absolutely. I think it's a medium that I don't talk about enough here on the show. I don't mm -hmm. think I ever had really uh, outside of the inner sanctum episode I did years ago. So mm. I, I'm excited to kind of dive into this a little bit more. Yeah. And just so listeners know, this is not a completely lost art form. They still do this on the BBC uh, over in the UK. This is still something they do. It's That's just, right. It, it does lack, like you said, the, the patina, which I think is a great way to describe it. The hisses and the pops and the clicks and, I kind of feel the same way about classic monster movies. If I don't see a few scratches here and there in the transfer uh -huh. or in the prints, it doesn't quite feel right. And I know get a little suspicious, right? Yeah. And, and I get it. I mean, I know back in the day mm -hmm. when these things first played in theaters or when they first aired on the radio, you didn't have the hisses and the clicks and the hairlines and the scratches mm -hmm. and all that. So when audiences first experience these things, yeah, they look pretty much pristine to them, but because right. of repeated exposure to what remains of them now, I kind of expect the hisses and the pops and the clicks. Yeah. You were talking a moment ago about new time radio. Like yeah. they still do radio dramas today. Like for example, the BBC, I'll mention a few others, uh, more contemporary as well to me. Okay. I, I don't want to name drop the exact show because I, I'm, I, I appreciate <laughs> that they're doing it, but like they rekindled an old anthology show for radio. I want to say in the nineties and into the two thousands. And it just wasn't the same the voice acting just kind of lacked to me. And this is what I want to talk about briefly. The engine behind a great old time radio dramatization, especially the mystery shows is the story. Always. The story has got to be good for you to remember oh, yeah. and really, you know, take to it. Of course. The nice thing is a lot of OTR mystery shows often featured some fantastic and absorbing tales. Right. But to me, it's often, that's the driver. Uh, I should say, it's often the driver of that engine, the professional voice actors of the time that truly make the difference in terms of enjoying this. So horror OTR shows were commonly blessed with some of the most captivating voices who worked in radio in the 1940s and 50s. Names like Orson Welles. I mean, OK, your listeners at least have, have heard of Citizen Kane and they probably have seen it and they know who Orson Welles is. And you know what? Maybe you like him as an actor, maybe not. OK, maybe you like him as a director, maybe not. But I'm going to tell you something. Arguably, Orson Welles' greatest single gift was his voice. His voice was incredible, so resonant and so kind of low bass and captivating. And he just had the way that he pronounced things and his delivery, his timing was just impeccable. And his power, the power of his voice is demonstrated all over OTR mystery and radio and different series and episodes that we'll talk about. Also, you had Vincent Price, who for the same reasons was just as memorable. I mean, Vincent Price, like him or not as an actor, like his movies or not, his voice was just amazing, just incredible. And the same with Boris Karloff. He, he just it was blessed with amazing pipes. These guys were just, I don't know what it is, but I could listen to them, you know, read the back of a cereal box. 
Um, but you also had outstanding radio veterans employed by CBS, NBC, and the other networks. I'm going to shout out some some underappreciated names here. Paul Freeze. Oh. Paul Freeze. You've heard this guy. Oh, yeah. He, his voice you'll remember from the Rocky and Bullwinkle show as Boris Badenoff. You also remember him from the Haunted Mansion attraction at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Uh, there was a, an actor named William Conrad. Now, he was famous for playing Cannon and Jake and the Fat Man on television, kind of a heavy set uh, actor. But his voice on radio was just timeless. Uh, Agnes Moorhead, one of Orson Welles' Mercury Theater players, uh, she was known for portraying Endora on the TV show Bewitched. Fantastic actress uh, on stage, screen, and in radio, especially radio. Mercedes McCambridge is another who is beloved among horror fans for, for uh, providing the voice of the possessed Reagan in the film The Exorcist. That's Mercedes McCambridge, also incredibly gifted. Elliot and Kathy Lewis, they were a very gifted uh, husband and wife team on radio. They did so much on, on old-time radio. Uh, and the jack-of-all-trades to me is a guy named Joseph Kearns. Now, he was better known as Mr. Wilson on this, this old show called Dennis the Menace. Uh, on television. And he's also uh, in Alice in Wonderland, Disney's Alice in Wonderland as the character Doorknob. You've heard his voice before in, in old timey stuff, but man, he was all over old time radio. He was on the Jack Benny program, Suspense, The Whistler, so many of these shows. He was on comedy shows, dramas, uh, mysteries, etc. He was a jack of all trades. So again, my point being, it's the voice actors in particular who sell this stuff and really make it believable. And it's hard to replicate that today, even in modern new time radio, because these people don't do radio for a living. Do you know what I'm saying? These professionals from the past were just so fine tuned to, you know, timing and delivery and different accents and dialogue and just that they never made mistakes. I, they almost never flubbed a line. It was, and a lot of these shows, Derek, were broadcast live. I mean, they're transcribed on, on transcription discs, but they were, it's not like they, they pre-recorded it. That, that didn't happen until like the mid forties. So a lot of these shows went live and once in a while, a mistake was made, but very rarely. Some of the samples he sent me, there, there's one with John Carradine where you can kind of tell he's stumbled over a line or two. But that just adds to the charm for me because you know it was done live. And that's what blows me away the most about a lot of this is that it was live. Yeah, they were reading a script. But when you consider the music that had to be played live, the sound yes. effects that had to be done live, you watch a movie like um, – Oh, what was that movie from the 90s? Radioland Murders. You see some of this where they mm-hmm. portray doing a, a radio show in a live theater setting, and they've got the guy in the booth with all the different devices making the sound effects and all that. Right. That just blows me away that you had all these people just ready to go, doing what they do live. Man, these guys were pros. They really were. And gals. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. I know. Man, this is a long-winded episode, and I apologize to you and your fans. I mean, I could go on forever <laughs> talking about this stuff, but I definitely want to spend a little bit of time just talking about some of the individual series and some of my favorites here. I so, was going to try to go that way too, because, like I said, I love Inner Sanctum, I love Lights Out, but I know there's a lot more out there than. Oh than yeah. Those. So for me, anyway, Derek. I mean, you're you're hitting all the cylinders, right? But. By far, Suspense, uh, uh, those shows outnumber any other in my collection, and for good reason. Not only was this anthology program the most prolific of the radio thriller series, it ran for 20 years, but it was also the best, showcasing the, you know, the biggest screen and stage stars of the time in bravura performances of only the choicest nail-biting stories. 
suspense just absolutely takes the cake. If you've not been exposed, the nice thing is, as I said, most of those shows exi- uh, still exist. That They aren't uh, uh, over 900 of the 945 episodes are still in circulation. You could find them. And almost every one of them is an absolute gem. Second favorite series personally is absolutely Inner Sanctum. <laughs> That's another portmanteau program, another anthology series, which was one of the first to feature an eerie horror host. So in this case, it was a mysterious man named Raymond who delighted in cracking wise about death and violence and was known for his bad puns and black humor <laughs> witticisms, much like, right, the Crypt Keeper was right. remembered for in Tales from the Crypt, the comic book as well as the TV show. My third favorite show is a series called Escape. Now, this showcased horror and mystery tales uh, predominantly, but also adventure and thriller kind of uh, fair. But among the remainder of the creme de la creme of horror and mystery shows were Lights Out. Absolutely. That was a very innovative program, which consistently presented outright horror yarns by master storyteller Arch Obler in its second run on radio. And the cool thing about Lights Out is almost all those shows were written by Arch Obler. He was chief cook and bottle washer of that show. So, so good. There was a show called The Whistler. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this with the famous whistle opening. Have you ever heard this one, Derek? Uh, you sent me, I think, an episode of that. And uh, I, I was aware of it, but I don't think I've ever really listened to any of them until. Okay. The, the Whistler and The Mysterious Traveler are kind of similar. Okay? okay. They're different series, but especially The Whistler featured a memorable twist ending. Okay. That was part of the draw of listening to, oh, how's it going to twist or how's it going to turn ways I don't expect. Mostly just like kind of suspense and thriller, not really horror on the Whistler, but very good, very good dramatizations. Mysterious Traveler also had a horror host and the the setup was you took a train ride every week. You, You jumped on the train and he would tell you this macabre tale. And you'd sit and listen to uh, him tell it to you. That was a really good show. And then you mentioned The Shadow. For those unaware, The Shadow was, it's kind of a dark superhero who could cloud men's minds with the power of suggestion so that he remained invisible to them. He didn't have any other superpowers, but again, not being able to see him, he was able to solve mysteries and bring criminals to justice, et cetera. And collectively, all of these I've just mentioned, to me anyway, they represent the A-list of radio, you know, mystery and horror series. The second tier... I have uh, of OTR mystery shows includes Murder at Midnight, The Hall of Fantasy. Uh, there was The Hermit's Cave. There was a show called Quiet Please, Mystery in the Air with Peter Lorre. He was the exclusive uh, uh, actor on that one. Oh, wow. The Strange Doctor Weird, The Malay Mystery Theater. There was a show called The Unexpected, another called The Haunting Hour, and there was one uh, called Masters of Mystery. So many of these shows ran in the 1940s and 50s, which I said is kind of the heyday for OTR horror or all-time radio in general. But I particularly enjoy finding and hearing rare horror series and random episodes. I often call them like one horror wonders. So examples include uh, there was a show, a, one, a one-off called Once Upon a Midnight. And this was actually hosted by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, oh, a show wow. called the Black, the Black Chapel. I th- maybe there were only a handful of episodes that, that survived um, so this is what I mean, like rarities that you'll find. They're like, wow, I wish there were more of these. There was one called The Key. Another one was Theater 1030. So those are kind of fun, too. You have your favorites that have, you know, many episodes in the collection. Then you have some standalones or one-offs or limited series that it's really cool to find those as well. You mentioned New Time Radio. There were some in the, the, in the late 60s through the mid-80s that I want to just... Uh, name drop a little bit here. Among them, uh, there was one called Beyond Midnight, which was actually broadcast out of, I think it was South Africa. So it was a British 
production. And, and a lot of them are fantastic ghost and supernatural stories. Another one you probably heard of the CBS radio mystery theater. Mm-hmm. Now this was on radio um, in the 1970s primarily. And I'm trying to remember the host. It was uh, the guy who was on in creep show. Remember the actor's name? Remember the Roach episode in creep show? E.G. Marshall. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. E.G. Marshall. Uh, fantastic. It was an hour long too. Uh, the Cape Cod radio mystery theater is one uh, midnight nightfall. And there was a short lived series called Bradbury 13 in the early to mid eighties, which dramatized several really good Ray Bradbury stories. So there are examples, but not so many lately. You mentioned the BBC still does this stuff. So you could seek that out, but it's few and far between. We don't really have radio theater consistently uh, presented to us like we did, you know, decades ago. I'd like to throw one out there real quick in 77 on the BBC, there was a, a series called aliens in the mind. Oh, uh, I have it. It's uh, very good. Vincent and it's Price. Peter Cushing. Yes. Isn't it Peter Cushing and Vincent Price? It is. It is so good. Uh, and this is actually something you can buy on CD. And I've learned and I've discovered there's a lot of this stuff available uh, through like Amazon's Audible program. Mm-hmm. So that's how I first heard it. But then I picked it up on CD and started giving it away to friends because it's just so good. So that was a mini series, which is yeah. really cool. I got to tell you, my favorite radio theater series of all time is a mini series. So it's just a small kind of, uh, I think it was 13 episodes it was actually done by, I think it was the BBC or it might've been national public radio. I can't remember, but this was in the early eighties. They did a dramatization of Tolkien's the Lord of the Rings, which is oh. so freaking good. It blows my mind. Like, I mean, they pulled out all the stops. It sounds like an old time radio thing without like the pipe organ and the real old timey stuff. It sounds modern as if, you know, maybe Peter Jackson were doing a radio drama. Okay. The guy who played uh, Bilbo in the Lord of the Rings, is it uh, Ian Holm? He plays Frodo. That is so good. You guys should seek that out as well. The Lord of the Rings. Uh, which uh, I, I'm sure it's copyrighted. You'll have to, you might have to buy it or uh, sure. find a, find it online somewhere. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea that was a thing. That's that sounds amazing. I'm it's it's amazing. They also did uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That was a BBC production for radio. And actually, I think that was a radio show before it became a book. I believe so. A series of books. I believe so. so. I'm sure a listener will correct us if we're wrong, but I think you're right. Yeah. So there are examples, but again, there's just not as, not as common uh, new right. time radio, if you will. Well, then PR did the Star Wars one. So there's that too. Oh, I for- yeah. oh, thank you. I'd be remiss <laughs> if I didn't mention Star Wars for radio. Yeah. So national public radio NPR did audio dramatizations of the first three Star Wars films. Uh, most famously a new hope, which I believe was, was it 10 episodes? I want to say I have them all. It's been a few years. So I've listened to them. But yeah, I mean, you have Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels mm-hmm. in their original roles there. It sounds fantastic. It's, it, it's just incredible. And they and what's cool about that, if you're a Star Wars fan, they actually have uh, chapters or, or like segments of the story. I assume that George Lucas either wrote or endorsed that aren't featured in A New Hope that are part of that self-contained story. Like there's there's an episode where we see what happens on the Tanted Four, which is the ship that Princess Leia is on that's captured by Darth Vader. That's a self-contained episode. You know, you know what I mean? There's so, a lot of cool. stuff in there. If, and I haven't listened to it for a long time, but my memory of it was that you get about halfway through the entire thing before you finally mm-hmm. catch up with the movie. Because there's so, I much, think you're right. so much stuff that happens on Tatooine with Luke and his friends and Biggs and all these other characters. It's just really interesting. An interesting take. 
It's great. It's great. Yeah. So Derek, are you ready? I want to delve into, if, if, if you're okay with it, uh, my 10 most recommended OTR mystery slash horror episodes, if we can. <laughs> if I'm okay with it. Of course I am. Let's do this. Okay, folks. I promised you uh, my 10 most recommended episodes containing 10 complete old time radio broadcasts that are among my personal favorites. Um, and I'm going to play you a few excerpts, a very brief kind of samples from some of these as well to kind of paint a picture for you. So number one on my list, I'm not going to go in reverse order. I'll just go from the top down, is, as I mentioned, Three Skeleton Key. It's from the anthology series Escape. It stars Vincent Price as the keeper of a lighthouse who's besieged by millions of rats. And Price repeated this performance several times on radio, including for suspense. It's arguable which is the better version, the one for escape or suspense, but you be the judge if you want to seek them out. So let's hear an excerpt of this show now. Are you ready, Derek? Oh, I am. I am ready. I got my popcorn, man. I'm ready to go. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and... Then lit the lamps. It caught them. Lit them in their gigantic wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. Then I started the rotary motor. Light drove them mad as she swung slowly and smoothly about. She blinded them in the fierce stabbing bar of light, moving continually about, ever turning, ever touching, ever moving around and around. And they twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light. The bright light moving and behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close, I dared not turn my back, but you cannot help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you could not see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light, blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. Pretty creepy, right? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Three Skeleton Key is a relatively new discovery for me. I only first listened to it a few years ago for the first time, and it has stuck with me ever since. It is so good. I'm so glad you picked that. And Vincent Price just totally nails it. It's, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. All right, are you ready for the dark? This is uh, oh, this yeah. featured on Arch Obler's program, Lights Out. And it's a famous short piece of horror about people getting turned inside out by a mysterious black fog. So if you're ready, let's give it a whirl, shall we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello in there. Hello. This is another false alarm. Anybody here? I'm a doctor. <laughs> hey, look. In the corner. This I gotta see. Lady, I'm a doctor from General Hospital. Now, what's the matter? <laughs> she is screwy, all right, ain't she? Frightened. <laughs> Come on, Doc. You want us to get her out of here? Or oh, the straitjacket. Shall I get the straitjacket? <laughs> no, Doc, wait. Where are you going? Can't get it open. Huh? What's the matter? What do you want to go in there for? Can't get this open. Okay, Whoever okay. is hurt must be in there. Blasted dark. Come on, we'll break it down. <laughs> but the woman. Forget the woman. Come on, put your shoulder to it. Come on. Yeah, yeah, all right. see a thing. Go on back in the other room and get that kerosene lamp. Well, I get it, I say. Yeah, yeah, I get it. 
Doc. The lamp. Okay. Hold it high. Yeah? <gasps> what? Oh, Mother in Heaven. What? On the floor. What is it? It's... a man. Oh, no. It can't be. Yes, I tell you, yes, it's a man. A man. And he's been turned inside out. <laughs> inside <laughs> out? Yes, see for yourself. It's a man. But the skin is the inside. The raw flesh is the outside. Organs hanging. <laughs> yeah. It's a miracle. A man turned inside out. Like you turn a glove inside. <laughs> it's alive. It's alive. I see it, I see it. Alive. Yes. Doc, it's trying to get up. No, no. Trying to get up, I tell you. It's trying to move. Sam, hold that light high. Watch. Look at it rolling over. Stop try, it, trying Sam. to get up. Stop that. Look, trying to get up on its knees. Doc, make it stop. Kill it. Do something. Sam, Man stop. can't live inside. Sam, stop. Out like I tell you. Stop. Hysterical old woman, it's what you honor. You stand there and shut up. Listen to him. Listen to him. Oh, let's get out of here, Doc, please. Don't be a fool. We've got to find out, Sam. Why? What? Derek, you, you still with us? I'm I'm uh, shivering over here, but yeah. Yeah, as we were as we were listening to that, a uh, strange black fog started rolling into my room. I got a little creeped out. Oh so. no. <laughs> oh, I'm still here. Okay. So the next one, uh, number three on my list anyway, is Orson Welles' Mercury Theater on the Air. This is not the War of the Worlds, even though it's hard to argue that that's not the greatest ever. But but it's just as far as staying strictly into horror, the debut episode is called Dracula. And it's, of course, uh, based on Bram Stoker's novel, but a phenomenal radio adaptation of the tale. I want to play you a brief portion of this one to demonstrate how well done it is. July 30th. Last night, we are nearing England. Weather fine. All sails set. Captain! Captain! The man in the watch in the stairs was missing! Lost missing! Now... Only self and mate and one hand left to work ship. August 3rd. Two days of fog and not a sail sighted. At midnight, I went to relieve the man at wheel. And when I got to it, found no one there. It's here. I know it now. I saw it. Like a man, tall and thin and ghastly pale. It was in the bars looking out. I gave it the knife, and my knife went through it. What? Empty as air. What is it? What are you talking about? It's here, and I'll find it. It's in the hold, in one of those boxes of earth. I'll unscrew them one by one and see. And see. He is mad. Stark raving mad. It's no use my trying to stop him. He can't hurt those big boxes. They are invoiced as common earth. <laughs> Down in the hole. I know the secret now. The sea will save me from him. That's all that's left. That's all that's left. August 4th. I am all alone on my ship. And still the fog. I 
dared not go below. <laughs> and screw that I was one wrong. by one. Yes, yes. I, I was wrong. There's no Orson Welles in that excerpt, so my apologies. That, that's but, okay. Listeners, uh, check it out, though. You can find it, man. So good. <laughs> so number four on my uh, list here is uh, an episode called The Song of the Slasher. It's oh, from man. Inner Sanctum Mysteries. And that was a horror omnibus series that featured, as I said, a popular horror host with a morbid sense of humor. And to give you a taste, here's an excerpt from the show's opening. Now, I don't think this is from Song of the Slasher, but I picked one that I, I tried to find. You can get a better taste of like the uh, kind of bad puns and so forth. So uh, all set for this one. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries, starring Boris Karloff. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host, to welcome you through the squeaking door into the land of ghosts, vampires, and other gay, hilarious people. Friends, are you looking for an apartment? Well, we have just the place for you. It's sturdily built, completely of marble, with cold running water every time it rains. You don't have to worry about the landlord putting you out. The lease is forever. All you have to do to get this little love nest is call your undertaker and get yourself a little bit dead. <laughs> you imagine if they added some WD-40 to those rusty hinges, you'd, you'd have no show, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Inner Sanctum is so much fun. Oh, yeah. Okay, number five. Number five is a episode that's called The House in Cypress Canyon. It's a spine-chilling episode about werewolves from arguably the best OTR non-comedy series ever made, Suspense. And as I said, Suspense is a mystery thriller anthology program that ran for 20 years, the longest run of, of almost any radio drama other than soap operas. So here is a sample of this broadcast. It was sometime after midnight when I was suddenly wide awake and staring into the darkness. In some way, I, I knew at once and instinctively what had awakened me. Ellen was not in her bed nor in the room. The nameless thing I feared gripped at my heart until I could scarcely breathe. I opened the bedroom door and started through the house, putting on every light that I could find. There was not much to search, but I searched thoroughly. The, the living room, the kitchen, bathroom, Dan, even the garage. And all the time, the dread of looking where I knew at last I must look. For I think I knew from the very first time where I'd find her. It must have been a full minute that I stood before that closet door. Then, I opened it. She stood there rigid, her arms at her sides, the fingers extended like claws. Her hair was over her face, her eyes stared out of it. Her lips were drawn back in a grin like an animal at bay. For a moment, I was frozen with the horror of it. I stretched out my hand. <gasps> Very deliberately, she turned her head and sunk her teeth until they met into the flesh of my forearm. I'd raised my hand to strike at her, but already she'd relaxed her hold and gone utterly limp. She would have fallen unless I'd caught her. I carried her into the bedroom and laid her on the bed. 
Strangely, at that moment, my only thought was how I might revive her. Until I saw that it was, it was not a faint, but a sleep that she'd fallen into. Sleep as deep and heavy as though she'd been drugged. And so I left her. But for me, that night, there was no sleep. You know what was great about suspense in particular was, I don't know if it was true for that, that episode, but for at least the first few years of its run, the composer of the music was Bernard Herman. Yeah, that Bernard Herman. Wow, that sounded great. Yeah, music I mean, just, you, you could get a, a sense for how excellent suspense was. Just, you know, the, the voice acting, the script, the sound effects, man, the, the music. It was just the best to me. Oh, yeah. So good. So I have ran out of samples, but I want to round out my top 10 list here. But uh, number okay. six for me is that episode of Murder Castle on Lights Out that I talked about. Now, this one stars longtime radio stock player Joseph Kearns, that jack of all trades I pre previously mentioned. And he pulls off a great performance as a serial killer who invents new diabolical ways to slay his hired housekeepers. So check that one out. Number seven is another suspense outing. Now, this one adapts H.P. Lovecraft's haunting story, The Dunwich Horror. Have you ever read or heard The Dunwich Horror? Oh, of course. Yeah, the Lovecraft fan. Of course I have. And I did listen to what you sent me, and it's a phenomenal adaptation. It's part dramatic account and part like fake live eyewitness broadcast mm -hmm. of a news pro program, but it's all a classic story. And this, this eerie tale is about an evil ethereal force that's trying to burst through our, our worldly dimension on Halloween night. And I'll tell you, it just never loses its impact. It's, it's great. And it features an excellent performance by the actor, Ronald Coleman, plus some really good uh, sound effects as well. So uh, if you're a fan of Poe, you'll like my choice for number eight. It's the fall of the house of Usher his immortal classic tale. And here it's dramatized on the series Escape. Now, this is by far the finest radio rendition of Poe's masterwork I've heard. And it's been adapted several times on radio. But Paul Fries, that, that great voice actor I mentioned earlier, his magnetic voice in this show and his knack for dramatic pauses in particular. And, you, and then you kind of pair that with the brooding score. It makes for a really, really good experience on this show. So, Unlike other radio versions of this story, this broadcast also remains faithful to the original tale, the text of Poe, uh, which, you know, if you've ever seen, for example, Corman's uh, The Fall of the House of Usher with Vincent Price, it's a great movie, but it kind of plays, you know, liberal with the actual text of, of Poe. So you might yeah. really enjoy this if you're a, if you're a purist, uh, if you will. <laughs> so um, the last 10 minutes of this episode of Escape, you have to listen to in complete darkness. It'll really get under your skin. So another great example of uh, the power of OTR. Number nine is a story called Ancient Sorceries. And this was a classic Algernon Blackwood tale that actually Val Luton was going to uh, turn into cat people. That was originally uh, the idea for the story of cat people. But uh, of course, they changed that around. But uh, this one stars uh, Paul Fries again, and he's a wayward traveler who makes the mistake of staying overnight in a village where the townspeople practice black magic. So I'll let you discover that on your own without any more spoilers. Uh, let's see, number 10, uh, last on my top 10 list here is an episode of The Whistler that we were talking about. This one is called Broken Chain. Did you hear this one, Derek? I did, and I was excited to hear it. I like the 
just the sound of the whistling and, and just the presentation of it. I like having that mm. close kind of introduce everything. I did like yes. this one a lot. And it makes me want to go find more episodes of this. Yeah. And the cool thing is you get a taste for how they, they really played up the twist at the end of every Whistler story. Yeah. And that particular one, Broken Chain, which is about a man planning to murder his wife, uh, features Elliot Lewis as the uh, the husband. Uh, Elliot Lewis was such a, a great veteran radio actor, director, writer, producer. Uh, so very talented guy. I've curated all these episodes, these top tens that uh, I've been talking about, and I put them into an MP3 file folder, actually several folders within a main folder. And uh, it's stored in the cloud and I can actually share it with your listeners. If they go to tinyurl.com, that's T-I-N-Y-U-R-L.com slash O-T-R horror. Now, I want full disclosure, I want you to know that I don't own the rights to any of these recordings. I'm merely an OTR hobbyist. I don't profit from this pastime. And to the best of my knowledge, these shared programs are in the public domain. But if there's a known rights holder who can claim ownership to any of these vintage broadcasts, please contact me and I will remove them from this shared cloud folder. So I had to get that out. But best of my knowledge, every it's free and clear to enjoy. Exactly. Yeah, I'll make sure there are links in the show notes to all of this. And uh, like you just said, if there is anybody who does own the rights to these, if there is an issue, we'll address it. But as far as we both know, they're all in the public domain. So much of the OTR that we love is in the public domain as it is. But on the off chance we miss something, we, we'll correct it. But please go check this stuff out. Enjoy it and let this be either your introduction or a stop along the road to enjoying OTR. It is so good. There's so much out there. Yeah, and Derek, actually, I, I like I said, there's several uh, file folders in that main folder that you, mm-hmm. you can discover, including there's another folder I, I called Other Great Episodes. Yeah. And this includes the greatest old-time radio show ever broadcast, which was, as we were talking about, the Mercury Theater on the Airs adaptation of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, uh, which you just have to hear. If you're just, you know, a human being walking there, if you really need to just take an hour and listen to that, put yourself in the shoes of people from 1938 and think about, okay, it's pre-World War II. And there's a lot of chaos going on in the world. There's a lot of uncertainty. You know, Germany's starting to kind of take over Europe and uh, we're, we're not getting involved. But uh, just think about like the paranoia and the suspicion and the doubt that's going on in the public consciousness. And then you have this guy who's basically playing a radio or a Halloween prank on the entire country making half the country who tuned in believe that Martians had actually landed. It's, it's just an exemplary uh, example of the power of radio and old time radio in particular. So in, in that folder, you have that one. You also have the hall of fantasy. I have an episode called the hangman's rope. And this is about the ghost of England's famous hangman, Jack catch who haunts three innocent people. There's an episode called a corpse for Halloween, which is fitting for this week. Uh, that's an inner sanctum uh, episode, and it stars veteran uh, radio actors Larry Haynes and Mercedes McCambridge in a tale about the deadly manhunt. Uh, I, I should say a tale about a deadly manhunt on the eve of all hallows. So check that out as well. There's a third file folder that offers episodes featuring horror movie stars. We were talking about uh, that episode you enjoyed with Bella Lugosi and John Kearney, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's in there. There's programs with Boris Karloff, see Peter Lorre, Vincent Price, Basil Rathbone. That's in its own folder. So you can uh, investigate that one as well. There's a fourth file folder, and this contains stories that they later adapted for film or television, such as 
the story Casting the Runes on Escape. Now, that was later made into the 1957 film Night of the Demon. It's so good. You got to give that one a, a listen. Line Engine versus the Ants is one of the most famous escape broadcasts ever. Now, this is the, t- the tale that got repurposed for the 1954 movie, The Naked Jungle, starring Charlton Heston. Oh, okay. Did, okay. You, ever, did you ever see that movie? Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Re- Interesting. Okay, cool. The Birds, of course, we know Hitchcock, uh, you know, turned that into a, a film in 1963, the Daphne du Maurier story. And that was actually broadcast on Escape first. So it's kind of fun to listen to that. Uh, the Hitchhiker, which later became one of the most famous Twilight Zone episodes, uh, is is an early suspense program and uh, of course sorry wrong number now this started out as uh, uh, a fantastic radio play on suspense and i want to say 1943 it was brought to life by agnes moorhead as a sick bedridden woman who suspects that she's going to be killed and tries to get help over the telephone now this was subsequently adapted into a hollywood film starring barbara stanwyck but sorry wrong number is the most repeated suspense broadcast of all time she came back to reprise that role several times by popular demand and then the movie is is quite good too so not sure have you had a chance to see that film before uh, i have seen the film uh, i actually use uh, a snippet from the trailer for that to introduce the feedback section of the podcast so <laughs> oh, oh most cool that's great so that's about it, Derek. I know I've spoken a lot here and I didn't mean to dominate the time, but I wanted to share my passion for the hobby and also curate some individual episodes, name drop some series, uh, provide that link that listeners can go to to listen or download or stream any of these broadcasts that we think are in the public domain. So I hope I've, I've served some kind of a service here to your listeners and opened uh, the eyes and ears to some uh, as to the power of old time radio. I think you have. And if nothing else, you did for me personally. So, you know, that's a win for me. Um, <laughs> if I were to be totally selfish about the whole thing, listeners, Very again, good. there will be a link in the show notes to all of this, as well as Eric's podcast and everything that he's got going on. And there are a few other resources that, you know, I'll uh, make links to as well for various old time radio podcasts. Uh, blogs and websites you know like i said rich chamberlain's doing his thing right now uh, there was an old podcast i don't think it's been active for about 10 years called the zombie astronauts frequency of fear that used to collate a lot of public public domain otr programs and put them out in podcast form uh, so i'll make sure there's a link to that as well it's out there it's easy to get your hands on and it's easy to get lost in it because there's so much great stuff eric thank Absolutely. you for doing this i really appreciate you taking the time to do this to putting this collection together for my listeners. And I wish you the best of luck on your show. Right back at you, Derek. It was a pleasure to appear on monster kid radio. I, I knocked that another one off the bucket list. That's great. And I hope you guys will also uh, check out my podcast again, which is called Cineversary. And we often cover, as I said, some different uh, suspense and horror films in my show as well. So Derek, I will continue to be a faithful listener And I'm glad we had a chance to talk. And we'll have you back on the show down the line to talk about something else. I'm sure I'd love to have you back on. Oh, that'd be great. Hey, happy Halloween. You too, sir. Thank you. Well, you heard Eric say it earlier, anchor.fm slash Cineversary, spelled C-I-N-E-V-E-R-S-A-R-Y, is where you can subscribe to and listen and support the podcast Cineversary, which I do recommend. Now, he didn't bring it up, and I didn't bring it up during our conversation, and I didn't know if I was going to bring it up or not, because it's not about a genre film. But recently, he did an episode about Goodfellas. I think that just happened like last month. 
I really enjoyed that episode. I'm an okay Goodfellas fan, but when it comes to talking about the movie, any movie really, you get somebody who knows what they're talking about and has a bunch of enthusiasm for the topic, you can't help but get swept up in it. The Goodfellas episode is really good, and that Psycho episode that came out earlier this month, oh, it is excellent. So go check it out. Let them know you heard about them here or heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. I'll make sure there's also a link to Nostalgia Digest so you can check out some of the links they have to various old time radio episodes. And of course, the links to the old time radio episodes that Eric uploaded to the cloud. I'll make sure that's in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net as well. Eric and I did talk a little bit about having him back on the show down the line. I'd love to have him on sometime next year and just find a movie to talk about or some other aspect of monster kid horror movie fandom eric thank you so much really appreciate what you do you can call and leave a voicemail for monster kid radio at 503-810-5mkr that's 503-810-5657 or you can send an email to the podcast monsterkidradio at gmail.com is the email address that's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. If you have any feedback for an upcoming episode of the show, that's how you do it. That information is also on our website over at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes or even while you listen. Links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter. It's all there. My various YouTube channels, it's there as well. As well as links to Amazon, our Amazon affiliate links. So if you buy anything through Amazon using any of these links, we get a little bit of kickback, a little bit of scratch, and it helps to keep the lights on here at Monster Kid Radio. Really appreciate all the support everybody's given us, whether it's in the form of honest reviews in the Apple iTunes store, podcast shop, whatever it is they call it these days, as well as any other podcast aggregate or just spreading the word amongst your own monster kid friends. Have people come over, you know, the more the merrier. Let people know about what we do here on the show. We've been going for almost 500 episodes now, so we've got a lot of content I want to share with everybody. I also have movies and music and old time radio episodes that I want to share with everybody. And that's why we have the Monster Kid Movie Club running almost nonstop up through Halloween, which runs for 25 hours this year because of daylight savings. Technically, I know the change in the clock happens like after midnight, but I'm calling it Halloween because I don't plan on going to sleep until after we get that extra hour in. 25 hours of Halloween, 25 hours of movies and music and all of that over in the stream and leading up to that as well. That's at monsterkidmovie.club. We are showing so many movies. Some things I've already shown in the stream in the past, some exclusive programming that I've gotten permission to show, and here's what's really awesome. I am really excited to say that Midnight Mausoleum's Halloween special, they've given us permission to run that in the stream on Halloween. Four hours of Marlena Midnight and Company going to be on the stream this weekend. You do not want to miss that. They're covering two movies. They have all kinds of fun lined up. Midnight Mausoleum is one of my absolute favorite horror hosted programs. So to have them come on, that's excellent news. I was ecstatic when their producer reached out to me about running their special in the Monster Kid Movie Club. So make sure you come by for that. It's absolutely free. You don't have to have a Twitch account to watch it on Twitch. But if you do have a Twitch account, you can participate in the chat that goes on the entire time. I'm not necessarily there the entire time because, you know, sleep. But there's a lot of people there just chatting it up, having a good time, talking about the movies that they're watching. 
Next month is November, which gets us even closer to that 500th episode. And one thing that a viewer in the Monster Kid Movie Club suggested is that I put the call out to all the listeners asking them to call in their thoughts on the show. So if you have any special greetings for Monster Kid Radio's 500th episode that you'd like to share, well, just call it in. Again, 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR is our voicemail line. Or if you want to send an audio recording to monsterkidradio at gmail.com, that'd be fine as well. What's coming up next week? I actually know in advance this time. I know. I'm actually a little organized. Kevin Slick is coming to the show. Now, Kevin was on the show. Oh, man. It was last year when we did Monster Bash, you know, before it got canceled because of what's going on in the world. He was on the show during our Monster Bash coverage, and it turned out that he's the guy that I like talking to. Go figure. Monster kids get along. So I invited him to the show, and we talked about a movie that he really likes, a movie that I really liked, and I already kind of mentioned it during the conversation with Eric earlier. Burn Witch Burn, also known as Night of the Eagle, is what we're talking about next week on Monster Kid Radio. I cannot wait to get into that. Burn Witch Burn. I want some kind of explanation. But is it obvious? I'm a witch. Can another woman's fiendish jealousy possess and injure her? Don't answer it. Hello. Hang up, Norman! Take me in your arms. Oh, Norman. After you've undressed me with your eyes, I hunt... Is this woman really a voodoo witch, conjuring evil spirits to do her sinister bidding? Shocking powers of witchcraft. Powers that can even bring a stone eagle to life. Next week's episode, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Night Surf. That is copyright Beach Bomb. You can check it out over at beachbombband.bandcamp.com and check out this new track, this new EP that came out. They gave us permission to play the song here on the show. And we thank them for that. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Happy Halloween. Ciao. <laughs>